sun's out and shades are in. Get your home summer ready with custom window treatments from blinds.com. Get a high-end look without the high-end price on our most popular outdoor shades and transform your backyard into the perfect weekend oasis with light filtering shades that help block UV rays without obstructing your view. Plus, right now, Blinds.com is offering up to 35% off everything, making it a breeze to upgrade any room in your home, indoors or out. With over 25 million blinds sold and 35,000 five-star reviews, there's a reason why Blinds.com is the number one online retailer of custom window treatments in the world. Whether you do it yourself or have them handle the install from start to finish, Blinds.com makes ordering custom window treatments online easy with free shipping and a 100% guaranteed perfect fit. Sunshine and barbecues are in the forecast. Upgrade your backyard and window treatments with Blinds.com today and enjoy your new view all summer long. Go to the link in our show notes to shop up to 35% off site-wide. That's the link in our show notes up to 35% off site-wide. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hey, you talk fam. I can't say it enough. To our avid listeners out there, thank you so much. New listeners, welcome to the fam. There are three ways you can continue to support this podcast. One is by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. Podcasts experience the biggest growth by word of mouth. If you share on social media, tag at utalk2020 so I can repost and show you some love. Number two, you can support us financially by throwing us a few coins on anchor.fm slash utalk2020. There's a link in the show notes. The third way you can support us is by giving us a great review on whatever platform you listen. I appreciate it all, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This horrible thing happened to us, but we got pregnant. So like we didn't think it was going to be hard to get pregnant again. And then every month, we tried and every month there was a negative pregnancy test or started my cycle right away. Like it just kept going on on month after month after month. And we saw people who either had started trying with us, have a baby. Some people had two babies. At some point it was like, something's not right, but I'm not ready to admit that it's not right. stories are what make us unique, but they're also what connect us as human beings. It's time to stop talking and start listening. This is You Talk, I'll Listen with Shannon Chapman. The topic of this week's episode affects a lot more people than you would think. According to the Office on Women's Health, about 6.1 million women in the U.S. have trouble getting pregnant. I think that a lot of us just assume that when we're ready to have kids, it'll just happen. 
But there's so many things that have to line up for somebody to conceive and carry a baby. And there are so many factors that can affect someone's ability to do so. Aliska is here to talk about her experience with this very topic and what her family looks like today. So Aliska, growing up, I always knew that I wanted to be a mom. And I'd planned to have two kids that were two to four years apart. And not wanting to have kids was a deal breaker for me when it came to choosing a husband. Did you also have these types of plans? Or is it something that you and your husband decided on when you got married? It actually probably was more something we decided on when we got married. I was always, I have kids, great. But it wasn't something that, like, I just felt like, oh, I'm going to be a mother. I'm called to be a mother. That's my only calling. That just wasn't ever something I just pictured for myself. And I think a lot of it was just the relationships I've been in previous, previous boyfriends never like were big on kids. So I kind of like was like, that's fine. Like, I'm not big on kids. They're not big on kids. It's fine. But then when I met my husband, I mean, he from like date number one was like, I want kids. Kids are like a deal breaker for me. And I was like, oh, okay. But then like. By the end of that day, I was like, oh, I could totally have kids with this guy. Like, it was just meeting that right person completely changed my outlook. So I was like, oh, yeah, kids are definitely in the future now. Um, But as far as, like, how many we were going to have, the years, that was just, we'll see what happens. We'll see what God has in store for us. When you decided to try and have a baby, did you think that it would happen right away? Or what were your expectations for how things would go? Um, we were older. We got married. We weren't quite 30 yet. So we knew that age does affect fertility. And then we also knew that my husband had some underlying issues. Um, we didn't know how serious they were. We just kind of were like, hey, it could take us more than two or three months to get pregnant. Because I think everybody always just has this vision of the minute you decide to have kids, you're going to get pregnant. And we had several friends and family members who were like, oh, we weren't even trying and we got pregnant. So we're like, Well, it may not happen that fast, but it'll still be fine. In actuality, like it did happen for us really fast one time. And then we had a miscarriage and then it never happened for us again on our own. And it only took us like three months. And we were like, oh, okay. And then we went to that first appointment and there was no heartbeat. And that was a really big shock because like I didn't know anybody who'd had a miscarriage. And I was like, huh. And like, it was really hard to process and hard to understand, but it was like, okay, it happened. We dealt with the pain. I still deal with the pain after of losing that first baby. And that was back in 2012. Like, I still know the due date every December 21st. Oh, you know, I, my baby should be this old and my baby should be doing this. And so that's always hard. But we were like, it's okay, though. Like, we got pregnant once. This horrible thing happened to us, but we got pregnant. So like we didn't think it was going to be hard to get pregnant again. And then every month we tried and every month it was a negative pregnancy test or started my cycle right away. Like it just kept going on on month after month after month. And we saw people who either had started trying with us, have a baby. Some people had two babies. At some point it was like something's not right, but I'm not ready to admit that it's not right. Like, I'm just going to keep trying and I'm just going to keep this to myself and I'm not going to tell anybody. How did it make you feel to see those other people who were getting pregnant at the same time that you guys were trying? It's such a hard thing, I think, for people to understand. 
I lost not necessarily lost friends, but some relationships were definitely damaged because people just don't understand how you can be so happy for them. Every person that ever told us they were pregnant, like we were so happy for them. But in the same time, like it's crushing you and like it's breaking your spirit and it's breaking you down. And I just had to work so hard at separating that and trying to help like friends and family members, especially because my husband's youngest brother and his wife, they got pregnant and they told us at Christmas and we were all so happy. And I was so genuinely happy for them. Like, I don't want anybody to go through what we went through, but I told them how happy I was. I congratulated them. And then I immediately went outside and fell apart. And it's like, I don't want them to think that I'm upset at them or I'm mad at them because I'm not. But it's just like one more reminder of somebody else getting something that you desperately want. And it's just not working for you at that moment. How long did you guys try before you thought to do something different? It was right about, I guess, two years, two and a half years. I started thinking, okay, obviously something's wrong. It's not, we're not getting pregnant. Because we hadn't ever gotten pregnant again, like on our own since that very first time. And so I guess it was the end of 2014, 2015, we made a decision to start researching, seeing what our options were. And we are so lucky that we live so close to a major city who has multiple infertility resources and so many different clinics. And we pretty much just set up an informational meeting just to be like, okay, what do we do? We knew my husband had some possible issues, but I didn't know if I had issues. I didn't know, am I actually ovulating? Is it something like, do I have blocked tubes? Like, we didn't know. So we just met with them and then started doing our initial test. But it probably took about two, two and a half years for us to finally be in a place where we're like, okay, we need help. And we're ready to accept that help. What options were you guys considering? We really, we didn't know from that first meeting. They drained some tests and it came back that I have diminished ovarian reserve, which means I just don't have high quality eggs and I have a very low amount of eggs. So right off the bat, they're like, you're not going to get pregnant by yourself. And my husband had low sperm count as well. So they pretty much were like, we can start off with an IUI which is intrauterine insemination, and just kind of see how that goes. And then if, you know, you want to do one or two of those and it doesn't work, then we'll look at something like IVF. Or they're like, you can go straight to IVF right now. But that was a lot of money and just a big commitment. And it was very overwhelming. So we just kind of were like, let's try the IUI, a very minimally invasive procedure. So like, let's just try it, see what happens. That would also give us a good idea of what my husband's sperm count would look like. Because he'd been tested, but it'd give us another test to go off of. Um, so we just decided to do that. What happens when you do that? The female will take, they'll put her on a regimen of medication, and that's dependent on your cycle and your body. Some women do Clomid. I did an injectable medication, but it was just like one shot. I did pills, letrozole, and then... I did an ovulation trigger shot, which is an injection like I had to give myself in my kitchen, which was, I was like, I can't do this. But I did, we did it and it was fine. And that triggered ovulation. And then, uh, which you're on a schedule, they tell you exactly, they monitor you, they know what your cycle is. I took the oral medication for X amount of days and then they told me exactly what time to do the trigger medication and that was the injection. And then we went in the next day to the clinic and we were um, at a clinic in Atlanta. 
And when we got there, my husband had to go into a separate room and the male provides the sample, which bless his heart. I think that was, <laughs> it's all on its own. <laughs> I don't think any man's prepared for that, but they do that. And then you have to wait around a couple hours while they test the sperm, pull out the good stuff, as the doctor said. And then we came back in and then they use a catheter basically and inject the sperm up into the uterus. And then we went home. So it's kind of, we laugh. It's like a really fancy turkey baster. <laughs> but he went home and then we waited for 14 days and took a pregnancy test. And it was positive. Oh. Like, oh, this is amazing. It was like so easy. Didn't cost that much money. This is great. Then we go to the doctor for the first ultrasound. And once again, there was no heartbeat. So it was I kept telling myself, I'm like, it's okay. Like, if this doesn't work, it's okay. I'm prepared this time. You're never prepared to not see a heartbeat. And it crushed us all over again. And it was like just tearing a wound right open again. And after that, we took off about a year. I was like, I know that was supposedly just an easy procedure, but I've got to step back again. Because just having that week or so of hope where like, okay, we're pregnant. And then having it ripped away. It was, it was too much, and I just had to take some time away. And we still kept trying on our own, even though we knew it probably wasn't going to happen. But we really just used that year to just kind of step away from it and just kind of refocus on us and our relationship and just kind of start having those conversations, too, about like, okay, what, what does this marriage look like if we don't have kids? And so it was, it was a hard year, but it was a good year to step away. So after that year... Where did you guys go from there? We went back to um, our same clinic. We did another IUI just because, we, I guess, honestly, I just wasn't ready to pull the IVF trigger because it just seemed scary and a lot of money. It's very expensive. And most people's insurance doesn't cover any of it. Every bit of infertility treatment that we had was out of pocket. Um, so we just made the decision one more time to do an IUI. And from the beginning of that cycle, like, I just knew it wasn't going to work. It was just something deep down. I just felt different. I just didn't, it just was a deep down feeling. I was like, I don't think this is going to work. And we, we went through it all and I took a pregnancy test and it was negative. So we didn't even get to the ultrasound step. And we just, we honestly took some more time off because we were like, okay, our next step is it's probably going to be IVF and we've got to figure out how we're going to pay for this. I mean, you're looking at $50,000. And that's not guaranteeing you you're going to have a baby to bring home. So it was a lot of soul searching, a lot of financial, hey, how do we do this? And then we went back to our doctor. It was the end of 2016 and just sat down with her and was like, okay, what is our next step? I said, I guess we just moved to IVF. And she's like, well, she's like, that's an option. She's like, but she's like, with your low eggs, She's like, we're probably only going to get one to two eggs during an egg retrieval. And they hope for like 10 to 12 eggs. She's like, so your odds aren't very good. She's like, we probably would have to do three or four egg retrievals to get enough eggs to make it worth trying to implant an embryo into you. And that's hoping an embryo was created from my <laughs> crappy eggs and not great sperm. She's like, but let me tell you these other options. We can do egg donation. We can do sperm donation. We can do egg and sperm donation. And we we were, you know, thinking about using an egg donor. It was one of those things. I was like, oh, I know what that is. I've heard commercials on the radio about donate your eggs. 
we'll pay you $5,000. Then she also told us about an option, which I had never heard of. It's called embryo donation. And it's where couples who have gone through IVF and have leftover embryos donate them back for other couples to use. Because usually if a couple goes through IVF and they have leftover embryos, your options usually are to, you can keep them and pay a storage fee and you can store those embryos for the rest of your life. I mean, it's pretty much however long you want to pay that storage fee, you can keep those embryos. You can have them destroyed, which is really, really hard. Don't know many people who just, you know, lightly are like, oh yeah, toss those embryos out. I don't want them anymore. Um, People do have their reasons for it and everybody's free to make their choice. And what's right for one person is not right for everybody else. And then a lot of people do donate them to science because a lot of studies can be done. A lot of things can be learned and they just feel like if they know they're not going to have these children, at least some good came out of those embryos. And I'd heard, I knew about people donating to science and I knew about people storing them for 10, 15. I know some couples, I mean, they're still paying their storage fees and it's 25 years later just because they don't want to let those embryos go. But I had never heard of people being able to donate their embryos. Yeah, I've never heard of that either. I was like, oh, I was like, okay. I was like, well, how does that work? And can they decide they want their kid back? Like, they're like, no, once they donate them, they terminate all rights. They're legally the clinics or the storage facility. And there's even adoption agencies that just specialize in embryo adoption, which is the same theory. They just, they treat it more like a regular adoption. And like couples who go through an adoption agency have to be background checked and they do home studies and home visits. That's not as common as just the regular embryo donation. And I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. But uh, still, it was kind of like, I don't know. Like, maybe we should be, we'd be better off just doing the IVF. We just had to really stop and think, like, does this child have to be a genetic makeup of just me and my husband? Or are we open to an egg donation in his sperm or my egg, somebody else's sperm, if that is what we're looking at? And we'd always, we always said we were open to adoption. So we started kind of just, we're like, well, embryo adoption would just, we could, it's just adoption. It's just, I get to carry that baby. And that's something that was really important to me by then was getting to carry a child. But we still, we were like, okay, let's, let's just go home, take a few days, look over the financials. Cause there was a significant difference in embryo donation and IVF as far as money goes. Embryo donation was like a third of the cost of IVF. But I was like, I don't want to make a decision just based on money. There's got to be other reasons. And so we just went home and took some time. I told my doctor, I was like, I'll call you back in like a week. Just give us a week. And she's like, take all the time you need. But the next morning, I was watching 11 Alive News here in Atlanta. And they did a story on embryo donation. And that night before, I had laid in bed and I had prayed. I was like, God, just let me know. Like, help us figure out what is right. Just guide me, give me a sign, do something. Just I just need to know that whatever, you know, the path that we're picking is your path for us. And we're not trying to make something and stray from your path. And that morning when I watched that story, I was like, this isn't like, I didn't go Googling this. I wasn't on the internet trying to find a story. This was a live newscast. And they did a story about embryo donation. I was like, I had never heard of this 24 hours ago. And now there's a story about this couple who the embryo they chose had been frozen for 16 years. It was just crazy. And so I called my husband and I was like, 11 Alive, just the story. It's about embryo donation. And, and that, that's our son. Like, we're in. 
we're doing embryo donation. And he's like, yes, a hundred percent. Like I called my doctor. I was like, we want to do it. And she's like, you told me to give you a week. I was like, I don't need a week. We're ready to go. And that just started the process. And it was just so crazy how we went from not knowing anything about it in 24 hours to knowing that is exactly what God was calling us to do and which path we were supposed to be going down. It's so crazy how he lines things up like that. Yes. Tell me what the process was like from that point on when you decided to go with that option. When that was the end of 2016, we decided to go with that option and they sent us an information packet. And part of it was we had to provide current pictures and some pictures from the past of myself and my husband because they have a whole data bank full of embryos. And they have an embryo donation coordinator. And she went through our pictures. We had to provide detailed family history, medical history. And she goes through all that. And she matches you with the most compatible embryo. Because they are taking into account physical features and heritage, if possible. Just anything to get you a match that's as close to your genetics as possible. Which we told her, we were like, it's okay. Just get us a baby. It's fine. Like, it doesn't have to have, because my, my husband and I both have blonde hair. We we're like, it doesn't have to have blonde hair. It doesn't have to have green or blue eyes. Like, it's fine. And she's like, well, we still want it. It's just, we try to keep everything if we can. And she told us, she's like, some people wait a year. She's like, you could be waiting a year for this match. And I was like, oh, okay. And like, for a moment, I think I had some doubt. And I was like, no, I was like, God gave me that clear sign. This is the path we're supposed to be on. But in the meantime, she was like, here's more legal paperwork. We, they asked that we went and had um, a therapy session with the psychiatrist just because they want to make sure that you're taking into account what this means. And one of the first questions he asked us, too, was, you know, are you going to tell this child how they came about and, you know, what their story is? And we were like, oh, of course, they'll know. And he was like, well, when? And we were like, well, when it's age appropriate. And he was like, well, what is age appropriate? And I was like, I don't, I, I, I don't know. And he's like, exactly. He's like, age appropriate in this child's story is from conception. Like the moment that embryo is placed in your body, that's when this child's story starts. And that's when you should start telling this child that story. And so we, that, from that moment on, we were like, okay, we're, we're never going to hide how this child came about. If we get to that part, because it's still in the back of your head, you're like, this might not work out. We're going to tell everybody, like, we told our family immediately, this is the plan we're going on. We're like, we don't want to hide it. It's not a secret. It's not something to be ashamed of or kept away from the child. I didn't ever want somebody to make an, not even like a mean spirited comment, just a comment like, oh, well, it's amazing how much she looks like them or he looks like them, even though it's not really theirs. I just didn't want, I didn't want the child to find out because of a comment like that. But we met with him in November and we did all our paperwork. And by the first of December, it's like, okay, everything's turned in. Now we just wait. And I started preparing. I was like, well, it's Christmas. You know, the holidays for sure. We're not going to hear anything. I'm going to be okay. Six months. We haven't been matched by six months. I might start getting a little concerned, but I think I'll be okay. And then like two weeks later, they called us like, we have a match for you. And we're like, what? You said it could be a year. And she's like, I found, she's like, one is like absolutely perfect. She's like, but there's only one embryo. She's like, a lot of people want more than one embryo in case they ever want to come back and have siblings or just in case it doesn't work the first time. 
like, so I do have a backup option that has two embryos. She's like, so do you want to go with the one, automatically go with the one that has two? And we're like, well, let us think about it. Let's look through, because they provide a whole file. We had baby pictures from the egg donor and baby pictures from the sperm donor, their history, their medical history, everything. And we just felt that that one perfect match that just had the one embryo, we were like, okay, we think that's it. Um, let's try it. And if, if it doesn't work, we'll get back in line and hope to be matched again. All we need is one. That was the end of December. We found out that we've been matched. And then we, in January, I started taking all the medication and getting my body ready. That was end of January through February. And then we did our embryo transfer on March 15th of 2017. Once we made the decision, the embryo donation, within like four months, it was like, okay, we're doing it. They're implanting an embryo into our body. That's really cool. What was um, pregnancy like for you? I loved it, minus heartburn. I have ne- I've never had heartburn a day in my life. And I mean, from like the moment I found out I was pregnant, I had heartburn. <laughs> it was the most horrible thing. But other than that, and then also got my first kidney stone while I was eight and a half months pregnant. Ended up in the ER. <laughs> oh, no. But I loved being pregnant. It was just, I think even if I'd hated it, I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody I hate it. Because people have seen me for six years desperately want to have a baby. And I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to let them know that I don't like this. <laughs> but luckily, it was, I loved it. I loved being pregnant. I was kind of sad. Like, that last month, I started getting sad. I was like, oh. Because I think in my head, I was like, this is probably it. Like, we're probably only going to get one pregnancy. Like, I'm probably not going to have this ever again. So, I was just, like, last month, I was like, almost depressed. I was like, I don't want, I don't want to like, I want to have this baby and I want to have her in my arms. We knew by that point it was a girl, but I was like, I'm just going to miss being pregnant so much. By eight months, I was like, get this baby out. I think it did help because my daughter was born in December. So at least the last months it was colder. I don't know that I would have felt the same if she was like a July baby. So you have two kids, right? We do have two kids now. Yes, we have a little boy, Grayson, who is 10 months, almost 11 months old. And he was a complete and utter surprise. (laughs) Pretty much after Dalton, I mean, pretty much immediately after you have a baby, they're like, what are your plans? What are your, you know, how are you going to handle birth control? I was like, uh, I don't need it. It took me six years in embryo donation to have a baby. I think I'm fine. And then a year and a half later, I was like, oh, I think I'm pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, that's not right. This can't happen. This, this doesn't happen. And went to the doctor. And it was. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Throughout that second pregnancy, were you kind of nervous because of all the things that had happened in the past? I think yes and no. The two, our two pregnancies that we lost, we lost really, really early. We lost before 12 weeks. So always getting to 12 weeks, like when I got to 12 weeks with my daughter, that was huge. Because it was like, okay. I mean, really the first ultrasound was huge because we'd never seen a heartbeat on an ultrasound. So that very first appointment with her and we went in and we were just like holding our breath. And then that heartbeat started. And we both, my husband and I both were just sobbing. Like the ultrasound tech, she told my husband, she's like, dad, she's like, you got to stop. Like, you got to calm down. She's like, I can't hear the baby's heartbeat. Oh. Because we both were just like sobbing. 
which we laugh because we went and had our first ultrasound on opening day for the Atlanta Braves in the brand new SunTrust, now Truist Stadium. And we were like, well, after this appointment, it's either going to be a really fun game or it's going to be a really bad game. But but at the same time, it kind of helped because like, okay, we have something to look forward to. We're so excited. But then we we heard the heartbeat. We were like, yes. And Daniel was like, I get to take my baby to their first Braves game. He was so excited. And then we laughed, too, because at that point, with our embryo donation, and same with IVF, you're still on injectable progesterone because your body isn't used to making it yet. And we still laugh because I had to give myself shots in the parking deck of the Braves stadium. <laughs> like, this is crazy. Like, who would have thought this would have been our life? Like, one, doing all this, and then I'm in a parking deck hiding behind the car to give myself a shot. But it was a fun day because we got to hear that heartbeat. And then just like, it's kind of started. That was the first time we'd ever heard a heartbeat. It was the first time we ever felt comfortable talking about, okay, what does this mean for us? Like our, our life is going to change now. And so with my son too, like once we got past that first ultrasound, there's a heartbeat. It's a strong heartbeat. And then we got to 12 weeks and it was like, okay, all our genetic blood tests came back good. So it was just really after I got past 12 weeks, I still, I think every woman is nervous during your pregnancy at different points. But I definitely was a lot more relaxed with him. I think any woman first time pregnant, there's just things that you don't know are going to happen to your body. And you don't know that things are supposed to do that. So with the second one, it was like, oh, okay, I know this. That time before you were able to get pregnant, what helped you through the tough six years? Our faith, we relied heavily on our faith in God. There were so, so many mornings that, I mean, I'll never forget. I just was like laying down in my shower, sobbing and praying. And I've told people before, it's over those six years, how my, my prayer to God changed. Because at first it was like, Lord, why is this happening? Why are you doing this? I don't understand. Then it was, Lord, just help me understand. Give me a sign that this is going to be okay. Lord, I want a baby. Just help me see how you're going to give us a baby. And then at the end, it pretty much was, if a baby's not in our your plan for us, then show me what my next step is and show me how to go on without a child. It was just kind of that, like, going from questioning God to, like, accepting whatever he had. Even though those six years were really, really hard, my faith had never been stronger, which I'm so thankful for. And then just friends. Because we found out with our very first pregnancy, we found out that um, there was no heartbeat. And it was the weekend before Mother's Day. And it was really, really hard. And we went to church. And I mean, every church does it. It's, you know, oh, let's have all the moms stand. And, you know, congratulations for being a mom. And here's a flower. And I just sat there because I was like, I just like two or three days before found out there was no heartbeat. But technically, I still had this baby inside me. And I was just doing everything I could to hold it together. And one of my friends, she was just like, are you okay? And I, we hadn't told anybody. And I was like, no, we just found out we're, you know, we're having a miscarriage. And she's like, I just had one a year ago. And I never knew that. And by her telling me that, it was like, okay, like, this is somebody else. She's gone through this. And so we started talking. Then one day, like, I said something in our um, Sunday school class at church, I had made a comment about our miscarriage, just our struggle. And we had a new couple that was visiting. And after church, she's like, I'm going through a miscarriage. She's like, I don't know anybody else who's had one. 
And I was like, oh, I was like, well, I've had one. And here's our other friend who's had one. And just like the more I talked about it, the more people would contact me through text message or a phone call. I'd be like, hey, you know, I saw that you posted this on Facebook or social media. Like I'm I've gone through that or I'm going through that. It's so sad, like how common it is. But once you find out how common it is, it kind of like heals you because you're like, okay, it's not just me. I'm not the only one. I'm not isolated. I'm not the only person who's ever dealt with this. There's this huge community that you don't want to be a part of and you don't want anybody else to be a part of, but it's there. And it's in that moment when you're hurting the worst, it's so wonderful to know that you have all these other women who you go to and they can help you. So just just talking to people and just telling our story after we'd taken that year off and just kind of tried to heal, it was like, okay, this is part of our story. Like he's given us this path to walk for a reason. And maybe that reason is to talk and to tell other people and to not keep it hidden inside. And so like by us telling our story and connecting with people, it helped heal us and helped give us the confidence every day to keep going on. Yeah. It is a really common thing. My mom had a miscarriage before she had me and two other family members that are close. They had miscarriages. One of them had two miscarriages as well. So I think people just don't talk about it. I do. I think more and more people are talking about it now, but a lot more celebrities, I feel like in the last few years have talked about it. I mean, Chrissy Teigen's a huge, huge advocate for talking about it. And so I just think seeing more and more people talk about it and knowing you're not alone. And then once you realize how common, like I was in a prayer group with five other women and four of us had had miscarriages. They used to say, you know, it's one in eight, one in eight women will have a miscarriage. And I think it's way more than that. I think it's probably more like one in three because so many people just don't talk about it. And then also some pregnancies end so early. They end before you've gone for that first ultrasound. You know, you get to get a positive pregnancy test and then a week later it's negative and you're like, oh, it was just a fluke. It's just so much more common than people know. But I do think more and more people are stepping up and talking about it and putting their story out there. And as horrible as social media can be some days, I do think one really good thing is people talking about their fertility and their struggles to get pregnant, stay pregnant and have a baby. Well, obviously your children are a huge blessing that came from this experience. But was there anything else that you and or your husband would say is a blessing that came from the experience? I just think, I mean, like I said before, our faith, um, I think we both, we already had what we thought was, was a strong faith and a strong relationship with God. And we were involved in our church. But just in those darkest moments, having that faith to fall back on was huge. And then also, I think even though we took some time off between treatments, we helped each other and we like grew our marriage. And we knew at the end of the day, our marriage is about he and I. If the two of us aren't good, it really doesn't matter if we have one kid, 10 kids, we've got to be good. And so I think we saw that we could go through something really hard and feel broken and defeated but we were still always going to be there for each other. And so it just, I mean, it gave us a really strong foundation for our marriage. 
it was horrible to go through. But at the same time, it's like I wouldn't trade any of that because I know that we're in such a strong marriage now because we've gone through that battle. Well, Aliska, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, Like you said, so many women go through this, and I'm sure that a lot of them feel alone. So hopefully someone will listen who needs to know that they're not alone. Yes. Stay tuned for the mic drop moment. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And guess what? It's free. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's time for the mic drop, y'all. Aliska and her husband have been through so much just trying to have a baby. And God blessed them with not one, but two babies. As I listened to her speak, I kept thinking about the emotional roller coaster that they were on. From getting pregnant really quickly, but then miscarrying early on, and then not getting pregnant again, month after month after month, and having to come face to face with the reality that this may never happen. They tried a fertility treatment and got pregnant again, but then miscarried again. And they finally had a baby through embryo adoption. Aliska got to experience pregnancy and then got pregnant again on her own unexpectedly. That is a lot of ups and downs. I can't help but think about the people who don't have the happy ending that Aliska had though. There are so many people that don't have the money or resources to do something like embryo adoption or fertility treatments or it just never happens for them. Aliska shared how she felt when people around her were getting pregnant, but even though she was desperately trying, she wasn't. I understand the dilemma that she described, being genuinely happy and excited for that person while being heartbroken at the same time. That makes me think about some of the insensitive things we may say to people in this situation. Even though our intentions are not malicious, when we ask people who have been trying to get pregnant things like, when are you guys going to have kids? Or we talk about how we weren't even trying and it just happened so quickly. We might not know that someone is struggling with fertility. And when we make these comments, how does that make those people feel? Aliska said that in the beginning of this process, she was praying and asking God why. And by the end of this process, it seems that she did actually get the answer to this question. Perhaps God gave her this story to be able to share it with others who may be going through the same thing so that they see that they're not alone. 
Some women don't share their struggles, but like Aliska, I believe that being transparent about our struggles can help heal others. And I hope that Aliska's story does just that. Our struggles are part of our story. And that's a major reason why I started this podcast. Grace and blessings.